This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. And I am excited to get straight to the Word of the Lord. It's a brand new series I'm starting, and the name of the series is Game Plan. If you'll kind of show that graphic for me, just kind of want to walk you through the the purpose of this series. I believe that... um, There is a plan that's been revealed in the word of the Lord for today's Christian. And we're living in in, in a strange culture. We're going to dabble with that while in the message today. But but just kind of playing off of a sports play, you know, I, I, I played sports in school and so many of you guys and gals played sports. It's always critical to have everybody on the same page running the play. There's a game plan. And we're going to allow the word of the Lord to coach us, to coach us up in the right game plan for today's Christian that's living in today's culture. So just kind of keep that in mind. We're going to be running routes this week and, and we're, going to be, uh, we're going to be winners throughout the whole month talking about game plan. But the big walk away is the byline. Those yellow words underneath is living for God in today's culture. So this morning I'm going to launch into this series with this subtopic, a balanced approach, a balanced approach. And I want you to turn with me into your your sermon notes on your app. If not, go with me to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, and that's where we're going to jump, jump in. Everybody remember the book of Daniel if you grew up around the church or if you had any kind of dealings with Sunday school, if you remember those days when you were a kid, you might remember some of these stories. Shadrach, Meshach, and yeah, a few of you went to Sunday school like I did, and uh, those were cool stories, and you had the, the fiery furnace. My favorite was the lion's den. I always thought that was so cool. I imagine that, I mean, it was so colorfully told to me as a child in Sunday school. That I'll never forget those, those years as a boy listening to these. There's some things about Daniel you need to know to kind of get this series. Daniel's broken up to 12 chapters. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel is very historical. It's history-based. And those are where those stories come from. Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo, Fire. All of those are in the history portion. The backside of Daniel, the last six, those are prophetic. It's prophecy. And you, matter of fact, let's go further. The Old Testament, actually. Some of you need to learn this real quick. The Old Testament's not laid out chronologically. If you, if you are on a yearly reading plan or if you've ever just sat down and skimmed through the Old Testament, I know it kind of is tough to just read, but it might help you to know. It's not laid out chronologically. The first segment of the Old Testament, something called the law, and it was written by Moses. Then you move into a segment that's history, and then you move into a segment that's poetry, and then the last portion of the Old Testament are the major and minor prophets. And it's not major because one's important, or, or more important than the other, it's, it's the length of the books. The major uh, prophets are really long studies followed by, by shorter. But this is what you need to know about Daniel. Daniel's placed right there in the, in the prof, uh, prophecy section. But even though it's a prophetic book, the first portion's history. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to lift some things out of history with Daniel that literally fit where we're living today. So that's the game plan. And we're going to find that there's a balanced approach that will, that will be a win for you if you'll run the play. So let's talk about Daniel for a moment. Daniel lived in a time where his entire people group, his nation, they rejected God. And there was a price to pay for their rejection of God. They literally made the decision to reject God and turn their back on God. And there was a price for it. And that was that they were sieged. They were taken over by a, a fearsome leader by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And his armies besieged their, their people group. And, 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 and they fell away from the things of God because of their choice of rejection. So real quick, that to me is a perfect place to get started with why I'm, I'm preaching about Daniel's story for us today. America... Without question, our our founding fathers, our roots as a nation, we were founded to be one nation under God. Now, you don't have to be uh, you don't have to be some current event guru to to see it happening everywhere around us. Our nation is taking baby steps one day at a time away from its roots of honoring God in our lives. And it's not happening very vocally. It's, it's happening more subtly than anything. And it's very stealth in its agenda. And what it is, is the enemy of your life, the enemy of my life, the enemy of this church, the enemy of humanity, everybody. You know, I just have to be a Christian. The enemy of humanity as we know it is at work. It, he has an agenda to move you away from rights and wrongs, to move you away from blacks and whites, definitive established truths. He wants to move you into some gray, confusing areas. To do what? To cause chaos in the family unit. And this series is going to be pretty tight. I don't expect to get a lot of pats on the back. I might even get some farewells from it. Who knows? But at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is the enemy has an agenda that wants to take you away from God, not lead you closer to God. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1. I'm reading from the message. If you have your notes open, feel free to tag along. It was the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war in Jerusalem and besieged the city. The master handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the furnishings from the temple of God. This is critical. Check it out. So we got the people group that love God, but they've rejected him. We've got the people group that have never loved God, the Babylonians. Matter of fact, Babylon is today's modern-day Iraq. We've got this people group that is now taking over the people of God. They are their slaves now, but to put the nail in the coffin, they actually take with them things from the temple, items that were set aside as holy, set aside as as holy things of God. 
What did he do with them? He put them in a sacred treasury. And the king told Ashpenaz, and I just get tickled at that name. Any, anybody that, that's pregnant in the room, feel free to name your next kid Ashpenaz. I, I, you know, I'm going to the LSU game tonight. Go Tigers. And, and I could just hear Ashpenaz crossing the 20. Touchdown, Ashpenaz. You know, awesome name, Ashpenaz. The king told Ashpenaz, head of the palace staff, to get some Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men who were healthy, handsome, intelligent, well-educated, good prospects for leadership positions in, in the government. And then it says perfect specimens. So you got to get this again, a little recap. God's people reject God. They're now taken into captivity. It, am I hearing a phone ring? Answer it. Tell them hi. Tell them you'll get back to them later. So we have God's people. They reject God. They're taken into captivity. Are you with me so far? But then the king says, I want you to choose the best of the best of their young people. I want the coolest cats they've got. The, the kids that just have the world by the tail. I want them to be sharp like razor sharp. And I want you to bring them out from from the community area where all the slaves are kept, and I want you to bring them inside, the, in, inside my palace because I'm going to feed them from my table, and I'm going to teach them the Babylonian ways. These people are now my people, but I need to start indoctrinating them in my ways of thinking and living. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? There we go. So he chose these four, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is big stuff, everybody. The very first step that King Nebuchadnezzar took at making sure that this new people group that he's now uh, king to, he got their best of the best and he started working on their identity. And he changed their names. Your name tells everybody who you belong to. My last name's Brandon. I belong to the Brandon family. When Nebuchadnezzar looked and he saw these boys and they had names that were given to them at birth that reflected their walk with God, their reverence for God, their relationship with God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, but they're no longer God's property. They're my property. So I'm going to rename them to Babylonian names And I'm expecting them to live up to their new Babylonian name. And it will trickle down generationally. And we're going to change the face of Judah. Of this godly people group. We're going to change everything about them. We're going to flip the page. Change the scripture. Uh, 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 We're we're, uh, going to flip the chapter rather. And we're going to create a whole new people group. And the very first thing he did was work on their name. Everybody listen to this. Culture will always, always want you to believe something about yourself that God doesn't believe about you. Culture will always tell you something about you that is not true and it wants you to align to it. The first one, there's no gentle way of preaching about it. 
So let's just dive all the way in. There's no shallow water available. It's pretty deep water. The first boy's name was Daniel. I mean, this cat must have been important. The whole book's entitled Daniel. Daniel's name meant that God, Yahweh, was his judge. His name meant God is my judge. His authority was under God. God was his ultimate authority figure. So it was known in his people group, it was known in his community, oh, that's Daniel. He answers to no one but God. It was known in his family line and lineage, that's Daniel. He is a mighty man of God. But now that he's a slave, Nebuchadnezzar was offended. He was touchy. He was like today's typical, just offended by the fact that this boy belonged to God. And he said, That's, I'm, 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 I'm going to have some fun with this. I'm going to let Daniel be renamed. And the name I'm going to give him, it's going it's, it's to be spread like wildfire throughout all of the, all of the, the, the community. Because look what I'm going to do to Daniel. I'm going to change his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal? you got to remember, names mean something. Belteshazzar was an effeminate name. He literally took Daniel full of swag, full of moxie, full of confidence in God, and he, he just dressed him down, and he gave him an effeminate girl name that meant lady, protect the king. You're going to be mine from now on. You just line up and you protect me. You once were under God's authority. You're now under mine. You're my little lady. You're my little girl. Now, before I know what I'm up against today, there's going to be some of you that get really uneasy in this. Don't take it up with me. You take it up with the scripture because here is how culture works. Culture today is at work just as it was in all pagan religions, and that is with gender confusion. All pagan religions have always dabbled with, with, with gender confusion. And let me tell you the danger of gender confusion. It messes up relationships. Parents with kids, husbands and wives, children and parents, siblings, school, work, office relationships. Gender confusion, the emphasis is on the word confusion. It literally nullifies what God established. In the modern day church, there's something special still about going back to the very founding words that when God created a man, God formed a woman from within him. And it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't have to be more complex than this. And God said, it is good. And when God says something's good, it doesn't need to be changed. It is good. But here's what happens with culture. The enemy of your future and your family and all of humanity, very stealthy, very sneaky. We were introduced years ago to unisex clothing, unisex fragrance, unisex this and unisex that. And it caused a blurry line in gender. 
But now, we don't even have that. Now all lines have been tossed away. And if you'll hang in this sermon throughout its totality, you're going to find the right way of navigating this. And it's probably not what you're thinking at this point. But Daniel's name was just thrown away. And he was given a new name. A very effeminate, disrespectful to God and to him. And Nebuchadnezzar knew this is how it's going to work. I'm going to change all of them by starting with this main guy. And we're going to let everybody realize he's my little girl now. Very strange. But it sounds so familiar with today's culture. He then went to Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh has been so good. Let's, let's modernize it. God is good all the time. God is so good. I love God. He's been so good to me. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I, I, I know what that guy's all about. He's all about giving God props, and he loves him some God. And, and, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change his name from Hananiah to Shadrach. And that means in the, Babylonian, uh, in, in the Babylonian language, I am fearful of God. This completely messes up spirituality. Because you can't live for God if you're afraid of God. I'm preaching better than you're amening. You can't live for God if you're afraid of God. That's no relationship. That's fear. And there's a lot of people that come to God in fear thinking they don't want to go to hell. But they never live for God because they didn't come to him in faith. They came to him in fear. I don't want to go to hell. My daddy said I'm going to go to hell. Well, you can't sustain a relationship with God in fear. You've got to see the goodness of God. And your faith's got to be in the goodness of God. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And Shadrach's name meant, I'm scared of God. And Nebuchadnezzar's at work. He's like, I'm, I'm messing up some, some gender confusion. I'm messing with some spirituality. We're, we're getting a hold of these influencers. And these boys are going to be my next generational leaders. And we're going to change the face of this people group. And then he went to Mishael, which meant who is what God is. Now, Mishael was one that just strutted around and said, oh, really, you think, you're, you, you think you're on to something? But it's nothing like my God. God is, God is this and that. God is strong and mighty in battle. And Nebuchadnezzar said, man, I need to, I need to calm this one down. This one's a little hyped up about the strength of God. So I'm going to name him Meshach for Babylonian of I am despised and humiliated. And then fourthly, and finally, with this segment, was Azariah. Azariah is something that we celebrate in this church all the time. And that is, God has helped me. God's been so good to me that he's provided for me. I receive all my blessings from God above. And God has helped me out when no one could help me. God showed up right on time and he helped me. God, God has bailed me out yet again. Thank you, Lord. And, and Nebuchadnezzar said, no, it's going to. You're going to lose that spirit of that, that, that attitude of gratitude. And I'm going to name you a bendigo, meaning servant. So you're not going to look to him as a good, good father. You're going to look to him as a, as a master. Do you see 
what could have potentially happened over time. Now those, those men have children of their own and they, and they honor that family name. And now we have, we have families that are, that, are, that, are, that are confused in their gender roles. We've got, we, we've got the, 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 the craziness of homes that are out of whack and out of balance now because no one knows their role in the home. So now we have cowardice and, and humiliated and fearful people and all of a sudden, with just one swift move of the change of identity, Nebuchadnezzar has his hand on a firm grip of the people of God. Second thing that Nebuchadnezzar did is what culture's doing, and that is culture always wants you to compromise your standards. Whatever it is you've set aside as holy, culture wants you to bend on that. It wants you to compromise what you have set aside as holy. And every single one of us that are, that are children of God in this room, if you're, if you're saved today, God has set, allowed you to set some things aside as holy. Well, Daniel had something kind of interesting. Dan, anybody ever heard of a Daniel's fast by chance? When you fast, you ever hear of a Daniel's fast? Daniel had a diet. He had a nutritional plan, a meal plan that he thought that, or felt that he heard from God. And it was vegetables and water only. Well, now that he's a captive uh, slave of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar thought, well, if these guys are going to be my leaders, I don't need them weak with just eating vegetables and water. I need some protein in them. So he completely changed their diet. He said, you're going to eat at my table, and I eat big. I eat good. I eat the best steaks, the best pork chops, the best chicken. Come on, I'm kind of, there's a babe's chicken fried steak at my table. I'm mean doing that to you at 12:20. So he was just putting it on them thick, you know. Here's the deal. It was a standard for Daniel. It wasn't just a meal plan. He heard from God. And this is how he lived for God. God, I, I may not be perfect in all my ways, but this one area, Lord, I feel like you've called me to eat certain ways. And, Lord, I, I don't want to bend on this. You're, this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, is tightening the screws on me, but I'm committing God. And the Bible says... In verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, but Daniel determined. Everyone say determination. He determined that he would not defile himself by eating of the king's food. And this is what he did. He asked, politely asked, Ashpenaz, is there any way you could possibly just let me continue to eat what I eat for God? And we're going to shelf that just for a moment. We're going to come back to it. Here in just a minute. But, but let's just kind of pause for one moment here. Culture will always want you to compromise in things that you feel are important. Now, today, the conversation would be like this. Well, you know, we probably shouldn't watch this movie as a family. It's probably not the best movie. But, you know, then again, are there any good movies anymore? Are there any family movies anymore? We'll, we'll just... There's no other option, so we'll just watch this. Or it possibly could be, well, you know, we, we hate the fact that practice is on Sundays. We've, I don't know what coach did this, but, you know, the boy's pretty good at sports, or, or the girl's pretty good at sports, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just Sundays, and we'll, we'll be okay for a while. You know, and, and we're compromising. 
something that we've set aside as holy. And, and real quick, I want to, be, want to be real clear with my, my heart towards you. I'm not talking about what, what preachers have possibly set aside as holy. I'm talking about with you and God. Culture doesn't care about coming between you and your preacher. Culture wants to become between you and God. But see, then, you know, like me, I'm, I'm, me and Denora, we're, we're raising two girls. We got girls in our house. We don't have the boy issues. We got the girl issues. Can I get an amen for daddies with girls? Well, you know, what we're up against now, what we're up against is the, is the, is the cultural pressure of she's, she's 12. But there's nothing at all you can buy a 12-year-old to wear that looks like 12. Culture has created a whole wardrobe for 12-year-olds to look 20. And, and, and what we complain, we, you, we find ourselves saying, well, I mean, there's no other options. Well, you got to do this and you got to do that. Compromising from the pressures of culture. Now, for you that have boys, I'm, I'm not jealous at all. People ask me all the time, you're going to try for a boy? And I'm like, are, are, uh, no, because I'd kill him. I would be the hardest dad on a boy because... My, my girls are rotten to the core. I spoil them rotten. I love every minute of it. I pity the men that marry my girls. I pity them. But a boy, I just, I, I probably have one foot in and one foot out and just, I'll let you figure that out. I would wear their little bottoms out, boy. But now for you raising boys, you know, I know the pressure you're under. Today's boys, I love all these boys in our church, but it's different. Boys are different. You know, we used to like get dirty just to get dirty to say we got dirty just to get dirty. I mean, we would roll around the dirt and punch each other and cuss and scratch and, and, and get up and do it all again and, and lie that we ever did it. I mean, we're boys. We're push mowing yards and, and throwing our shoulders out, pulling cords of push mowers and weed eating. And, and my goodness, my first weed eating was on a stucco house and I put my initials in it. You know, boys, boys, just go punch somebody. Just say you did it, you know. Yeah, I punched him. Why? Because that's what I do. Well, nowadays, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to upset anybody, but you and I both know because I deal with a lot of you dads. Nowadays, it's, you know, I don't understand my boy. All he wants to do is play this game, and, and he just wants to sit and eat chips and turn up the lights and watch games. And I just gave him a bat, and he thought it was a fork. And, and you know, culture, culture, culture has an agenda And it's real. And you better know the game plan that the coach is calling if you're going to live for God in today's world, Jack. Daniel's problem was he had a certain diet and he wanted to change, the king wanted to change his diet. Today it's not so much about diet. It's the things we've set aside as holy. There was a day where church members, they went to church on Sundays. That's just what church people did. I don't care what background, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, I don't care. It's not the point. You spent church on Sundays. Now, a five-star, A-plus-plus family in this awesome church is like once a month. And they're proud about it. You saw us, didn't you? We were there. It's like, that was March, wasn't it? Yeah. We were there. We'll see you at Christmas. And, of course, there's, there's obviously not, that's not everybody. But it's amazing how culture has brought compromise in things that were once holy in the Christian family. Everybody okay? 
Save your text for tomorrow, okay? I can't handle them on today. It's game day. Go Tigers. Last but not least, culture wants to change your identity. Culture wants to Culture wants you to compromise in your standards of what's holy and what's, what's godly, what's separate for the believer versus the world. But culture will do this, and this is the big one as I close. Culture always will create confrontation because it thrives in chaos. If we can just get mom and dad fussing over silly things, He's got his foot in the door. If we can just get dad upset with his kids about one thing, he's got his foot in the door. If we can just make money a big issue in the home, he's got his foot in the door. If we can cause stress over finances and stress over time management, if we can just, you know, the enemy never comes black and white and straightforward. It's always subtle behind the scenes, creating chaos. And you always will know, we we get it, but it's too late when we get it. We know it's not from God. God doesn't create the confusion. He's not the author of confusion. He speaks peace. So back to Daniel. He said, will you please let me just eat my diet? We pick it up with verse 9, and he says this. If you'll just let me eat my diet, I want you to test me. I want you to try me. You let me and my partners eat the vegetables in the water, and then you try us out in 10 days from now, and you put us up against the guys that have been eating your food. We're going to be faster. We're going to be stronger. We're going to be sharper. You watch. Try us. And there's confrontation because the guy says, I can't do that. I'll have my, my head cut off. You're, you, you, the, the king says you're going to eat this. But won't you allow us to do this? And there's back and forth confrontation of what they were going to do. But Daniel was determined to hold his end of the bargain up in relationship with, with Yahweh, with Jehovah God. So let me... Let me close. This is why I have you here today for the next five minutes, okay? Watch this. When your faith is tested, what route do we run? What play do we call? Here's the play. When your faith is tested, you better respond the right way. And there's two ways that I see that are the most, the most played, and they're both wrong. The Christian in 2018, the Christian responds in these two flawed ways, in my opinion. When, when our faith is tested, we either respond way over here with this crazy, dogmatic, extreme response. Well, well don't you test me with my faith. You're an idiot. I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. And there's absolutely just, there's no room for, for, for welcoming anybody's opinion on anything It's your way or hell. And there's churches that even think like this. Well, I don't know where you go to church, but if you don't go to ours, you're not in the right church. I mean, come on, man. This is an extreme error of today's Christian. Of of not just today's, meaning that it's it's different than yesterday. Because I'm going to show you the balanced approach in Scripture. 
before the modern day church was ever created. But you can't be so extreme that, that you think you have a corner on God. Because I got news for all of us. None of us have a corner on God. God's bigger than any of us. He's bigger than any church. He's bigger than any belief system. God is the way, the truth, and the life. Out of the very words of Christ. But then there's another extreme. And this one is the most popular. And that is the extreme of a word that I hate. And it's the word of tolerance. There is a huge movement in America for tolerance. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's right. Nothing's good. Nothing's bad. Everybody's accepted. Everybody's correct. There's no, there's no path that leads anywhere. That has literally turned its face away from the word of God. Let me just make this real simple today. This is just simple Beauregard Parish, Louisiana, as simple as it gets. You better have a default system. You better have a reset button. And it better be the word of God. This word has to be the final say. But let me tell you what this word doesn't say. It doesn't say that you have a dogmatic extreme approach when your faith is tested and this word does not say that anything can go in today's Christian lifestyle what this word does say is that there's a balanced approach let me tell you what it is it's the balance between grace and truth it's the balance between the dogmatic that this is the truth and everything else is false or the tolerance of it's all an act of love, you know. We just love everybody. I get that, but here's a balance. Let me share it with you. John 1 and verse 14, Jesus models the balanced approach. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full, full, maxed out, full of grace and truth. This is why Jesus is on record with being the way, the truth, and the life. He never once compromised his purpose. He never compromised his divinity, but yet he spent his every meal with sinners and they loved him he was as good and as right as right can possibly be and he loved the company of the wrong the balance of the truth and grace forged and merged into the mighty God in Christ revealing to us what is God's truth well truth is God's standard John 17 and 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. If the word is the truth, then what is the grace? Grace is God's favor. Ephesians 2, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, you can't take credit for it because it's the gift from God. Salvation, the Bible says in verse 9, is not a reward. 
for the good things you've done so no one can boast about it. Let me give you four little points and I'll pray over you today. Some of you need to write this down. Talking about truth and grace. And why you have to have both in the middle. You ready? Without truth, you are corrupt. You have to have this in your life or you'll be corrupt. The reason you need grace is because without grace, even though you have this, without the grace of God, you're condemned. You got to have both. Let me say it plainly. You can be so right that you're right that you're right, but you're still wrong outside of the grace of God. Because God never called you to be right. He called you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I know a lot of people with a lot of head knowledge of truth. Those are the kinds that I run from because all they want to do is debate. All they want to do is argue. Those are the ones that I cannot handle on social media because all they do is rant about how everybody else is wrong. And the truth is the only way any of us are going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Ready for this one? Without truth in your life, you're worldly. Because it's the truth that teaches the Christian how to live. But without grace in your life, you're judgmental. The Word of God teaches me how to live a believer's life. But the grace of God in my life keeps me from being judgmental towards everyone else. And then finally, without truth in my life, I'm mean. Because I'm a sinner that's lost. And lost people get mean. But without grace in my life, I'm meaningless. Look at me, look at everybody. When you mix grace and truth, when they collide, when they forge and merge, you now have a medicine for every sick soul. And that's why Christ came to earth. To bring heaven and heaven's medicinal program down to treat every single one of us in our sickness in the last days that we're living in the coach is calling the play and he wants to ask you this question are you going to be changed by the world or are you going to change the world Are you wanting to follow God to the point where you live like nobody else, man? You live life to the fullest. You live life with peace. You live under His blessings and authority. Well, to live like nobody else, you have to live like nobody else. You cannot be influenced from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep by the things of the world. You know, some folks believe, yeah, man, I've heard about your church, Pastor. I've heard heard that church is growing so much, but no wonder it's growing. You don't don't preach against anything. You don't believe anything. Obviously, they've never been here. Because the truth is, we just choose not to add too much to the book. 
book has so much in it that I can't live up to it yet. So I don't really need my opinions on top of what the book calls for. I'm just going to try to honor God, love people. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a dark day. But that's when Jesus can shine his brightest. Is in the people of God that say, we're not going to question our identities. I'm comfortable being a man and a husband and a father and a son. Comfortable with that. Not going to compromise in my standards. There's things I just choose not to do because I believe God's called me not to do them. And I'm not going to pass judgment on anybody else. They're just what God's called me to do. And I'm going to avoid the confrontation that culture wants to create in my life. I don't have a, I I choose my battles. What are you willing to follow in your sword over? Well, there's just some things not worth it. And then there's some things that I'm going to be determined to stand for. And before I have you stand, I kind of did this in all the other services, so I want to be consistent. You know, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, and I hope that's for a long time, one thing we'll never become is a church that chooses just to overlook things in the scriptures just because it's convenient. And we're not going to be a church that excludes anyone from coming. Because I think a balanced approach to the household of God is the very balanced approach that Jesus took. We are who we are. We believe what we believe. But one of our number one fundamental fundamental beliefs is everybody deserves the love of God. Obedience will always follow love. A lot of parents, we get this mixed up. We want them kids to line up and obey by God. (laughs) Obedience follows love. Love doesn't follow obedience. You can't beat a kid into loving you. I've tried. My poor mother's tried. My sister's here today. My mother tried on both of us. You can't. But you know what you can do? You can love hard and long enough and see the obedience come to picture in clarity. So as far as it goes of the game plan, the game plan for Calvary and the game plan for your family, I believe and trust, is let's love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And may we love our neighbor the same. Let's stand together. Y'all, if you never see a miracle again in your life, you've seen one today. That clock's not red. That clock's still white. And I've got a minute and 25 seconds to keep it there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my, my, my first Sunday back with the, my absolute favorite people on earth. I'm thankful, Lord, for the new people I've been able to meet today in all three of these services. And, Father, we're not a perfect church. We're far from it because, well, first of all, I'm the pastor of it. And then there's people in it. But what we do have, Lord, is we have a sure footing that your word is truth and your grace is real. And we're going to do our dead level best to honor your word. And we're going to do our dead level best to be people that give the very measure we've been given. 
and that is unconditional, amazing grace. Dear Lord Jesus, be honored in all that we say and do this week. Keep us safe, healthy, and happy. Let us please you and let us love you and love our families and our friends and our community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let everybody say a big amen today. Amen. All right, small groups, get your list. Get signed up. Email, text, create the buzz.